I love that song, I Want That Mountain. I'm surprised that there are so many of you that had not sung that song before. When I first came to Berean, uh, well, that's been a long time ago now, 11 years, I guess, something like that. Uh, that was a staple. We sang that a lot. So I guess it's been a lot of years since we've actually sung that song. But it's a good one. And we're, tonight we're going to talk about the man who inspired that song. Uh, he was a great man of God, and yet he labored in virtual obscurity. If you think back to the time that we started the book of Joshua, I told you that uh, Joshua was a man who was, uh, had the dubious distinction of following probably the greatest leader that we find in the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua was the one who had to follow up Moses, and he had some very big shoes to fill. It's not likely that we would ever even have heard of Joshua if it not for this book that was written about him. We probably wouldn't even think about him at all. Well, Caleb is the night, uh, man we're going to talk about tonight. He didn't have a book named after him. And yet, when you go back in Scripture, you find out that he is one of the most faithful people in Israel. He's one of only two men, Joshua and Caleb, the only two men who left Egypt and made it all the way into the Promised Land. And both Joshua and Caleb made it because they were fearless. Uh, they trusted the Lord unreservedly. And finally, they did make it to the promised land. Now, Moses, the great prophet, didn't make it all the way there, but Joshua and Caleb did. So, so Caleb was a great man, but he was greatly o- overshadowed by Joshua. So tonight, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to give Caleb his due, because I believe that Caleb is a great example for us. From the time that he was a young man to the time that he was very, very old, he served the Lord faithfully throughout his entire life. And he did that without having all the accolades that were given to others. So let's read about Caleb's inheritance. He asked for a mountain, and God gave him a mountain. Joshua uh, gave him the mountain of Hebron. If you'd stand with me, please. We're looking in Joshua chapter 14. I want to begin reading here with verse number 6. Joshua 14, verse number 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And of course, he's talking there about the time when those 12 spies were sent over into Canaan and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who came back with a report that said they could take the land. And so he says, I fully followed the Lord my God. Verse 9, And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore... Give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. 
If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now, if you go over to chapter 15, let's look at verse number 13. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the children of Anak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story that we read from your word and the great promise that you made to Caleb. Lord, we know that that promise was made because he was so faithful to serve you. And we ask you, Lord, you might help us to learn something from his life tonight, that we might do likewise, that we would serve you in the worst of times as well as in the best of times. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the past couple of months, or excuse me, not months, but past lessons that we were talking about, the past couple of Sundays, I should say, uh, we've been talking about the inheritance of the saints. And we're talking about how that uh, God gave the children of Israel the land of Canaan, uh, a promise that he made to Abraham 500 years before this time. And when the people entered into the land and had conquered it, then Joshua began, began to divide up all of the country among the tribes of Israel. Well, Caleb was a little bit different because there was a particular promise that was made to him many years before. And what makes the promise that was made to Caleb so unusual is that Caleb was not a Jew. Caleb was not a natural-born Jew, at least. In, in chapter uh, 6, verse number or verse 6 of chapter 14, it says that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. And the Kenizzites are actually one of the peoples that had to be driven out of the land of Canaan. So we don't know what it was that brought Caleb to live among the Israelites or perhaps his father who came before him uh, to live among them. But there is one thing that we do know about Caleb. He was absolutely convinced of his faith in Jehovah God. He followed him fully. And even though he wasn't an Israelite or not a Jew, yet still he followed the Lord when there were many of the Jews that were unfaithful to God. Moses acknowledged him, and then when the time came for the dividing of the land, Caleb reminded Joshua of this promise that had been made. And uh, this is the promise that Moses made to to Caleb way back when, before they got into the land of Canaan. Uh, This was right after... Uh, the promise, or right after that report was made of when they came and spied out the land. Now, if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll read about this. We, we find the promise, and it's a follow-up to what uh, God said he would do for both Joshua and Caleb. And here in this passage, Moses is giving the farewell speech to Israel. This is just before the people go in to possess the land of Canaan, and he mentions this promise that was made to Caleb. In verse number 34 of Deuteronomy chapter 1, And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he had trodden upon and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. 
And so there's the promise that was made. And when Israel had subdued the land some 40 years later, there was a guarantee that Caleb would receive the portion of the land that God has promised. Now, let's, let's look at Caleb tonight, and we're going to see what God did because of his great faithfulness. First, we see that Caleb was faithfully surrendered to the Lord. And his faithful surrender is evidenced by the fact, again, that he was one of those 12 spies that Moses sent over into the land of Canaan. Well, we've, of course, rehearsed that story on many different occasions. And we know that, again, that Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who came back and said, we can take this land. There were giants there, there are fortified cities, there are people there that are well capable of defending their land, and yet Caleb said, we can take this land. Caleb's name is an interesting name because it actually means all heart, and it's a name that refers to the character of a dog. You may not want to be compared to a dog, but uh, here Caleb's name is referred to the or compared to the faithfulness of a dog. It's like a dog that's uh, well-trained to follow every command of his master. It's a dog that gives his master all of his affections, and he's always waiting there to hear what the master has to say. I've told you about my dog before. Uh, My dog had a birthday this past week. He's 14 years old. He can't see very well. He can't hear very well, but he still loves his master. Now, My dog, when I come home, he's always glad to see me. And there's one thing, well, there's lots of things I hate about my dog, actually. But one of the things about my dog is he loves to stay underneath my feet. I mean, you never can, half the time you can't even walk through the house because he's right there at your feet all the time and you almost fall over him. Well, he does that because he's a faithful dog. He loves the master. And I can understand why he loves this master, of course. But he's a dog that loves his master. Well, this is what this is talking about when we speak about Caleb. Here he is. He's an old man. But all those years, he stayed faithful. Now he's 85 years old, and he's still a man who loves to hear the master's voice. He's still a man that that loves to serve God. He still followed God with all of his heart. And so he wasn't a half-hearted Christian, because it's always true that a half-hearted Christian is a faint-hearted Christian. And Caleb was not that kind of man. Well, how do we know that Caleb was so faithful? There's actually three ways that we can discover his faithfulness in this particular scripture. Number one, or letter A on your listening sheet, it was affirmed by personal testimony. His personal testimony, and that's found at the end of verse number eight. He says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. And I love the way that Caleb put that. He calls him the Lord my God. Now, he certainly wasn't a Jew. Uh, He had no right to claim the promises of God. He was born outside of the covenant, but he had received Jehovah God as his God. And so he puts the personal touch on his words here, and he says, He is my God. You may remember when we were studying in the Gospel of John, we find the greatest expression of faith in all the Gospels found in John chapter 20. That's the story about the man that we disparagingly call doubting Thomas. You remember, uh, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. And so Thomas, uh, when he heard the account of how Jesus had come, he said, I am not going to believe that unless I can take my fingers and put them into the nail prints, unless I can thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, later, Jesus appeared again. This time, Thomas was there with the other disciples. And the Lord invited him to come and receive all the proof that he needed. He said, Thomas, 
put your fingers in my nail prints. Put your hand into my side. And that's when Thomas looked at him in that great expression of faith. He said, my Lord and my God. Thomas didn't have to do any more than see the risen Christ. Well, that was a great confession of faith. And it was quite different saying my Lord and my God than just simply saying that Jesus is the Lord. Because when he said my Lord and my God, he was saying he's the one I follow. He's the one who has all control over my life. He's my ruler. And this is exactly what Caleb is saying. Now, this isn't an arrogant statement when he says, I wholly follow the Lord my God. But rather, this is a statement that he could make out of a clear conscience because he knew this is what he had done. Now, the Apostle Paul said a similar thing at the end of his life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And so there's nothing wrong at all with verbalizing the sentiment. This is a statement of fact. It was a statement of faithfully surrendered obedience to the Lord. Well, that's his testimony. But how do we know that what Caleb said is true testimony? Well, the Scriptures give us more here because there's more than just personal testimony. It was also attested by pastoral testimony. Moses was the shepherd of God's people. And by the way, that's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. And so Moses was Caleb's pastor. Well, what did Moses have to say about Caleb? Well, we look at verse number 9. And Moses swear on that day, saying... Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Now Moses was a man that, to hear his testimony, that really counted. To have Moses say this about you, this would have been an awesome thing. Why? Well, because Moses was probably the best trained person academically and militarily and spiritually of his time and maybe even of all time. That's the kind of man that Moses was. He was specially chosen by God to carry out a a task that was very important in history. Have Moses say about you, you have wholly followed the Lord, that meant something for his pastor to say something about him. Now, I don't have uh, nearly anything like the wisdom and, and, and the character of Moses. But I would want to ask all of you here tonight, I mean, are you the kind of person that the pastor can look at your life and he could say, here is a person who faithfully follows the Lord his God. Would I be able to look at your life and could I say, this person is one who's faithfully surrendered to the Lord? Now, maybe you think, well, you don't necessarily need my approbation, but I can tell you this, that generally speaking, it is good for all church members no matter what pastor that you serve under, is to be the kind of person that a pastor can depend on. Be the kind of person that he knows that when he calls on you, you'll get the job done. And not for my sake, not for the pastor's sake, but for the sake of the Lord. I mean, what you do for the pastor in his capacity as the shepherd of the church is exactly the same thing as doing that for the Lord. Uh, Paul tells us that the pastor is one who watches for your soul, And he says that you ought not to make the ministry grievous for him. You ought to make his ministry joyous. And I have to say that my ministry is made joyous when when I see God's people that are faithful, when I see people that I can depend on, when I see the people of Berean Baptist Church listening to the Word of God and they learn to apply it to their lives. That's what makes a pastor's ministry joyous. And then, of course, I am thankful for faithfully surrendered church members Uh, Brother Dalton here, 
uh, standing by my side all of these years. I mean, that's a, that's a great help, and that makes the ministry a wonderful thing to have people like him standing with you. Brother Larry Jefferson's not here tonight, but to have a good friend like that in the church, that's important for a pastor to have somebody stand with you. Brother Dave Sharon right here, I mean, uh, when he perceives that something might be wrong, he, he would come and check on me and see about that. You need those kinds of people. And then I think about the young men in our church. I mean, uh, we have men like Jose right here and, and uh, Jeff back there and, and uh, some of you others and some of the older ones, uh, uh, Gary and there's Randy and Brother Jim back there and Brother Tom. It is wonderful to have people that you can depend on who will get the job done for you. I think about the ladies of our church as well, and I'm, I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for Mrs. Silva. Now, Mrs. Silva, you know what she does. Uh, she checks on my cholesterol, and she, uh, she fusses at me if I have two hamburgers at Snack Shack. But, you know, a pastor needs somebody to watch over him like that. And Mrs. Silva and, and Joan's not, not in the congregation tonight, but somebody just comes up here and puts water on the platform making sure you have that. That's a wonderful blessing. So it's really great to have people in the church that you can depend on. And I could go on and on. I could talk about many other members of the church. But we need faithfully surrendered people. Moses needed it. Now, you know the history of the children of Israel as they went through the wilderness, that there were many times that they just gave Moses a hard time. It was difficult for him to lead those people. They were complaining all the time. They didn't like his leadership. They were disappointed in Moses on numerous occasions. And sometimes in reading all of these accounts, you wonder, why didn't Moses just throw up his hands and quit? Why did he just say, it's not worth the trouble for these people? And I think the reason that he didn't was because there were some Joshuas. There were Caleb's among the people as well. And that's what kept Moses going. He led the people because there were some good folks that he needed to lead. And I feel the same way. Uh, there are people that discourage me sometimes and things don't go the way that you want, but you always have those faithful people that are standing right behind you. And that makes a pastor's job just a joy to do. So I would ask you, are you a Joshua or are you a Caleb? And what's the pastor's testimony concerning you? Well, those things are important. But best of all, I think, is this next one. He was faithfully surrendered, and, and there's the affirmation of personal testimony. There's the attestation of pastoral testimony, but also it was acclaimed by providential testimony. And I mean that God himself is one who said that Caleb is faithfully surrendered. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God said, But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. I don't know uh, how you feel about it, but to have a personal testimony, that's good. To have the pastor's testimony concerning you, that may be a wonderful thing for you. But to have God's testimony, there's nothing better than that. Can God say about you? Can he speak your name? And can he say about you as a servant, he follows me fully. You know, one of these days I hope to go to heaven, and, and I hope when I get up there that I'll be able to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And when I say that I hope to go to heaven, I mean that like the Bible means it. I mean this is a sure hope, it is steadfast, it's anchored in that rock that cannot move, and I want to hear him call my name. I know when he opens that book of the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, 
And he begins to read the elect names of the people of God. I believe that my name is going to be there. But I want more than that. Not only do I want him just to read off the name, I want to hear him say, Mark Smith, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope that each of you has that same feeling. And I hope that you could say in your own heart tonight that, yes, I have fully and I have faithfully served God, and I'm expecting to hear that. I don't know all the criteria that's behind it. I couldn't tell you everything you had to do to have God say that, but I can sure tell you this. It must include obedience, and it must include faithful surrender. And Caleb was that kind of man. He didn't wait till he got to heaven to hear it. God said it. He has faithfully, he has fully followed me. But then let's go on, because we notice something else about Caleb. Caleb was also finally spared by the Lord. If we look at verse number 10, And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, These forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. So the Lord kept him alive. Forty-five years before The promise was made to Caleb. And Caleb is still alive because he has to be alive because God promised that inheritance. It was God's guarantee. And so Caleb had the guarantee right there. He was going to live at least 45 years longer in order to receive that. Now, Caleb didn't know when it was coming. Uh, He had no idea when God would give it to him, but God promised it. And so year after year went by, there were battles that were fought. He saw the children of Israel falling by the wayside as they went through the wilderness. When those snakes came and they bit those, those people in Israel, Caleb wasn't bitten. Caleb couldn't be bitten because he had a promise from God. He would receive his inheritance. When they came against Jericho, Caleb could put his, his armor on. He could suit up and he could go out to fight without fear of dying because he had to have the inheritance. God had already promised it. You remember how that Israel went up against Ai. There were 36 Israelites that were killed. Caleb couldn't be among that number, and that's because he hadn't yet received his inheritance. So he had a guarantee from God. But it's not only physical longevity that he had. Uh, Caleb was spiritually a just and moral person, and he was living that kind of life. So what else did God give him? Well, he was saved from discouragement. Saved from discouragement. Now, one of the the greatest uh, things about salvation is that it's not something that you get when you die. It's not something that's way off in the future. Your salvation and your eternal life begins right now. Eternal spiritual life begins at the moment that you put faith in Christ. And so faith in God's promises uh, led Caleb out of discouragement. The discouragement of the other Israelites did not affect him. You remember, he he comes to Kadesh Barnea. Uh, Moses sends out those 12 spies. Ten of them come back, and the report discouraged all of the rest of the people. But not Caleb, because Caleb looked cheerfully at the task, and he said, we are well able to take this land. There's no discouragement in his voice. But that was 38 years before this time. Actually, a little bit longer than that, but 38 years from the time that uh, he received the promise until they finally got into the promised land. And he saw discouraged people uh, uh, dropping like flies all around him. These people were not spared from their discouragement because they didn't trust God like, like Caleb did. But Caleb trudged on. He went on because of the promise without discouragement. In verse number 8, it says that the others went up, the other spies went up. Their hearts melted, the Scripture says, but not Caleb. He was fully following the Lord. 
Now, one of the hardest things that there is to overcome in church is this matter of discouragement. And often, uh, discouragement is not here because of things that are directly related to what's going on in church. But your discouragement might come from things that happen in your personal life. Uh, Things uh, look like they're going well for a while. You take two steps forward, then all of a sudden you find yourself three steps backward. And you start to get discouraged about that. And so that discouragement, as we talked on Wednesday night, is one of the wily tricks of the devil. And when people get discouraged, what happens to them, they just hunker down and they don't budge. But I want to remind you of this promise that God made to Caleb. And the promise that he made to him is no less than the promise that he's made to you. God has also promised you an inheritance. And you have to do like Caleb. You have to keep your eyes focused on what's out there ahead and what God's promised. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When Paul said that, he could have been standing in Caleb's shoes. He hadn't received his prize yet, but he was looking for it. And Caleb had not yet received his prize. I mean, he's still on the other side of the river. And the prize had not yet come. But he's not looking at the past. He's not looking what happened for 40 years in the past. He's looking for what God had prepared for him in the future. The future thing. And he pressed on to that. And he pressed on without discouragement because what he was coming into was well worth the wait. You remember the writer of the song who said, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And that's how Caleb felt about it. Paul stated it another way in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so Paul looked at the things he was going through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the hunger, the cold, the thirst. He considered it all light affliction because he knew what was coming. He wasn't discouraged. He fully followed the Lord. And friend, if you'll do that, if you'll keep your eye on the prize that's ahead and fully follow the Lord, that will end your discouragement. Then also we find that he was spared from disbelief. He was saved from discouragement, but also disbelief. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 3, we'll have it here for you. The writer uh, talks about the Israelites who died in the wilderness. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Well, if you're a person that's fully surrendered like Caleb, that takes care of your unbelief. Fortunately, there are many Christians who who languish in their unbelief and lack of assurance for many, many years in their their Christian lives. They never reach a place of full assurance. And so they're thinking all the time, I wonder if I'm saved. I'm not quite sure about it. I have people come into my office all the time. Am I really saved? And you know what causes that? It's lack of obedience. It goes back to a neglected prayer life. It takes root in, in neglect of your Bible reading. When you don't faithfully attend God's house, then you can fall into unbelief. Well, Caleb did not fall into this disbelief of the other Israelites because he trudged on faithfully. And so he kept right there. He was right there beside Moses. He supported him. He worked with God's man. He listened to the directions that were given, and he fully followed God's word. 
So disbelief was dispelled because of his faithful commitment. Now, once again, we listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, a verse that we all know very well. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So there again, we have Paul's testimony. It's identical to Caleb's. Both the Old and the New Testaments agree on this. You keep faithful to the commitment, and the disbelief will vanish away. And then also we find that Caleb was saved from death. Back in Numbers 14, the Scripture says, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. Moses died. All of the people that came out of Israel that were 20 years old and upward, they all died. Many of them doubted the promise, and, but not Caleb. He lived on, the Bible says. He, he never surrendered to the flesh. He kept on in the spirit. He worked and he trusted and he lived. You ever wonder why we have stories like this in the Bible? I mean, why does God take us back to all these different things and make sure that we understand and read these things that are in the Scriptures? Well, Paul told us why he did it. We're going to come to this a little bit later in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we'll discuss it some more then. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so these things are written to be examples for us. God's telling us, you do what Caleb did and you'll live. Now we go back to Paul again and see what he says in the New Testament. He says in Romans 8, verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What does the Bible say about sin? For the wages of sin is death. Now often we only use that scripture as we apply it to lost people. And we tell lost people, the wages of sin is death. But Christians need to understand that as well. Because death, because of sin, uh, sin causes not only spiritual death, but it causes physical death. And that can happen to Christians. It happened to the Corinthians. Uh, go on a little bit further in 1 Corinthians, and you'll find out that these people who misused the Lord's Supper and those who wouldn't repent of their sin, God took their lives. God uses this as a warning to us. Peter said, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So Peter says that, that judgment begins with God's people. And so we look at Caleb's life as a warning to us, but we also look at the death of these Israelites as a warning as well. God's people, we, we just better wake up. Because what can happen is that God can snuff a life out at any minute if he wants to. And that's why he wants people that, that are faithfully surrendered and do not deny his word. Now, Christians will, will flirt with the world and they forsake the church, they forsake their faithful service. And that's a problem. God's going to judge for that. Spock said, live long and prosper. He was a Vulcan. But God also has a plan. Yeah, Carla, throw me the sign, whatever that is. Uh, God also has a plan for Vulcans. Did you know that? And his plan for Vulcans to live long and prosper is commitment, obedience, and faithfulness. Now, let's go on. Let's very quickly sum this message up. Caleb was fully surrendered. He was finally spared. 
And now thirdly, Caleb was fully satisfied in the Lord. Years before this, Caleb sneaked over in the land of Canaan with these other spies, and he spotted a piece of land that he really liked. And he decided that that's the piece of land that he wanted. This particular piece of land is the mountain of Hebron. Did you know Hebron is a very special place in the Scriptures? When Sarah died, Abraham uh, bought a field. He bought a parcel of ground, which was the cave of Machpelah. And that field was located at Hebron. Abram was also buried. Abraham was also buried at Hebron. In fact, uh, Hebron is the only place that Abraham actually owned in the promised land. Isaac was buried there. Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, all of them were buried at Hebron. And so this was a very special place. And, and really, it, it's the only place in Israel or the closest place that you could say that was a holy piece of ground to them. Their greatest ancestors are buried at Hebron. And that's a, an unusually significant thing with Caleb because, remember, with all that history there, all this Jewish history that, that, that's, in, that's in Hebron, yet Caleb asked for this and was given to it when he's not even a Jew. And, and that is significant, I think, because it, it shows us just how fully he embraced the Lord. But not only that, how fully that the Lord embraced him. And what that tells me, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust the living God, he'll give you all of the desires of your heart. So Christ brings satisfaction to weary souls. Three quick statements and we'll be through. First of all, he experienced the joy of spiritual prosperity. You know what spiritual prosperity is? You can ask that question to uh, Joel Osteen and ask that to Creflo Dollar and to Joyce Meyer And they'll tell you that spiritual prosperity is when you have your pockets lined with gold. That's not spiritual prosperity. They don't know anything about spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity is when another person can look at you and they can say about you, I think that I need to pattern my life after that person. That person follows the Lord. I want to be like them. And when you get to the place that there are people who can look at your life and say, that's the kind of Christian that I want to be. I'd like to follow that person. Then you know you've reached spiritual prosperity. That's where Paul was. Remember, we've talked about it so many times. It'll keep coming up as we go through 1 Corinthians. Paul says, be ye followers of me. Be imitators of me. And he could say that because he was the right kind of example. He had spiritual prosperity. So people could look at him and say, I want to do what Paul does. And that will bring you spiritual satisfaction. Then secondly, he experienced spiritual possessions. He received Hebron. Verse 14 says, Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Now notice also it says, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Remember that Joshua is the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. Joshua was the one who passed out the inheritance for the people of Israel. And Jesus is the one who passes out the inheritance to all that are united by faith in him. Now, I promise you, folks, when you get to heaven, you will be fully satisfied. Lots of Christian people are, seems like they're fully satisfied with what they have in the world. Well, if you're satisfied with what the world has, you have no idea what you are, what's in store for you when you get to heaven. You will be fully satisfied. Now, the third thing we find about Caleb, he experienced spiritual peace. Canaan was a tough land to subdue. It was a hard-fought battles that that, that won that for the children of Israel. And uh, 
When Caleb was given Hebron, it didn't mean that Hebron was completely clear of all troubles. It wasn't. Now, if we go and look at chapter 15 again, the Scripture says that Joshua gave him Hebron and the sons of Anak were still there. You remember who they are? They're the Anakim. These are the giants. I mean, these are the very people in the, way back in the beginning. They were so afraid to go in and try to take the land because they said there are giants in the land. He said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And the people of God were afraid of them. These are the people that are the ancestors of Goliath. And those giants are still there. So Joshua hands uh, uh, Caleb the land of Hedrum, Hebron, and he says, it's yours, Caleb. Go get it. Rid the place of giants if you really want it. Caleb, I don't know, he might have been thinking, well, thanks a lot, Joshua, for that. Give me a land that's full of giants. But Caleb wasn't worried about it. You know what he did? He just went and got rid of the giants. He just conquered them all. He took his mountain. Here's what we learn from this. Peace does not mean the absence of problems. If you're waiting for that, you'll never have peace in your Christian life. Peace does not mean you're free of problems. What peace means is that King Jesus lives in your heart. It means the Prince of Peace rules you. He reigns within. And so there's no fear. There's nothing but peace when you know Christ. And this is Caleb's life. That's, his, that, that, that's the way he lived. He, he, he labored in obscurity. There's not much recognition for him. Can you imagine just one of two men that made it all the way to the promised land and really, all that we have in the Bible at Caleb are just a few scriptures. Not much is said about him, but he was a person who faithfully served the Lord his God. So when you serve God by the power of Christ who dwells within, here's what will happen to you. You can become a Caleb in your church. You can be somebody that God will really use. You can be a blessing to your pastor. You can be a blessing to other members of the church. You can be somebody that others will want to model their lives after. That's the kind of man that Caleb was. This is what we need in the church. People who start out for the Lord, and over the long haul, they stay with God. They're here in the good times and the bad times, and they're always fully surrendered, faithfully following the Lord their God. And that's what we need in Berean Baptist Church. We need a lot more of these Caleb's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight, we thank you for this great story from the Bible. We thank you, Lord, for this man, Caleb, who faithfully followed the Lord his God. Lord, I ask you tonight that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to be fully surrendered to you. Help us to be faithful followers, that others can look at our lives and see a wonderful testimony that's just like the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be that every Christian here tonight could tell people, be a follower of me, follow my testimony. And they could honestly say, if they follow them, that they would be following the Lord as well. So, Lord, we ask you to speak to our people tonight. Uh, just, just draw us to you. Make us Caleb's in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.